Good morning, everybody. That microphone's working. <laughs> Very good. At least in here. Uh, how's it going? I uh, was sorry to see that um, our trivia night uh, had to be rescheduled for last week, but it's going to be great. Next Friday, Chastains are on for, for leading that, um, but, uh, and I think that everything got worked out. They had a bit of, a, uh, of a, an emergency, utility emergency at uh, one of the houses that they own, and I think everything got worked out there, so um, we're grateful for that. Uh, also, apparently, um, a bunch of the ladies had a fantastic time last night at uh, Galentine's Day. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was good to hear that from the other room. I heard lots of laughter um, as Henry and I were, uh, were watching Ratatouille in the other room, so it was, uh, it was, it was uh, I'm glad you guys had a good time. <clears throat> Um, we are continuing this morning in our series, actually we're concluding our series in the shelter. Uh, this whole series has been about this idea that in the shelter of the Almighty, in the shelter of the Most High, those who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty God, the Almighty Sovereign God, we are um, not only uh, under no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Amen. Uh, we are also invited to do what we might call hard, scary stuff. Uh, things that, that God is calling us to, to be, God, things that God is calling us to do in His world that is broken. Um, but we do that all in a response to God's grace. It's not like the things that we, we have to do, we're, we're doing in order to earn God's love. You have God's love. God has, uh, loves the world. He so loves the world that He gave His Son. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. You have God's love. But what we do as Christians, we respond to that love um, by, in faith. We respond to that love in faith, and that faith looks like belief, but it also looks like action. Uh, it looks like us serving uh, this world. And, and that does take work, right? It does take uh, responsibility that we have to our world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding uh, abounding, exceeding the limit, always exceeding the limit, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, these things that we're doing to build for God's kingdom, remember, we don't build God's kingdom, uh, we build for God's kingdom, um, that remember, we're, that we're knowing that, that, that in the Lord, in the shelter, our labor is not in vain. God's still working through us. God is going to continue to do amazing things through the life of His church and through the life of those who love and serve Him. <clears throat> so, a few weeks ago, I was bumming around on my phone, which, because that's what I call a good time these days, um, and, and I came across this website selling t-shirts. Um, I've appreciated that in recent years, uh, there, there's been a return of the understated T-shirt. Uh, if, you, if you notice, like 25 years ago, cultural references on clothing didn't have a whole lot of tact. You know, I don't think I would have wanted to wear a T-shirt that like had the Seinfeld logo on it or something like that. 
but my Vandalay Industries t-shirt that my brother got me a few years ago for Christmas, that's one of my favorites. So when I came across this one particular shirt the other day that, that simply had an image of four circles and the words, there are four lights written above it, I was excited enough to make a purchase. I'm guessing roughly 5% of the people watching this are going to be familiar with that reference, which is why I would actually be willing to wear it in public um, and hoping that it kind of sparked a conversation. Four dots with the words, there are four lights written above it. You see, it's a, it's a Star Trek reference. And deeper than that, it's sort of a reference to the George Orwell novel, 1984. You see... There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dork, I'm sorry. There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Pap- Captain Picard is taken uh, captive by a hostile enemy. And Picard is taken before someone in high command and actually kept a prisoner in this office chambers. And after being starved and tortured... The enemy sits Picard down in front of him, and he turns on these four bright lights behind him um, that light up the room. Then the enemy asks Picard a simple question. How many lights do you see? Picard looks at him puzzled and answers, there are four lights. The enemy then corrects Picard and tells him that no, there are actually five lights even though it's clear to those of us on even watching that there are four. Picard is then tortured again, and he starves some more until it comes time for him to answer the question again. The enemy says, how many lights do you see? There are four lights. More torture, more starving, more pain. You see, the enemy didn't just want to hold Picard's body captive He wanted his will. He wanted his mind. He wanted to own Picard's truth. And in the end, while unknowingly his crew is actually successfully negotiated for his release, Picard is given the final option. One more time, he's asked to to, to choose between a life of comfort uh, or a life of torture. All he has to do It's just a simple thing. All you have to do is tell me that there are five lights. And he was actually moments from freedom and he didn't know it. But his last words to the enemy, as the guards were taking him away, are, there are four lights. Even though he later admits to the ship's counselor that, you know, I had actually begun to see five lights. So the reason why the t-shirt was so appealing was because I, I, it wasn't just because I enjoy Star Trek. You know, I do. But it's because it's a reminder that as a Christ follower, I'm not just called to speak the truth even when others are threatened by it. I'm called to follow and therefore model my life after one who embodies the truth, who embodies truth itself. And it is very possible that 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 could become very inconvenient for me. As George Orwell puts it in 1984, there was truth and there was untruth, and if you clung to the truth, even against the whole world, you were not mad. Or the further society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. 
neither Orwell nor Star Trek were written from Christian perspectives, but I do appreciate the, the reminder that, that I am called in Christ to be a man of truth. I am called in Christ to be a man of the truth, regardless of the cost. The early church, the early church saw this in sharp ways in the first three centuries of their existence. You see, the thing about the early church was that they were utterly convinced of one present reality. There was one thing that, that, that if, if they were absolutely convinced of. It, it was that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead and that therefore he was the Lord and Savior of the world. You'll notice that at the beginning of the verse we, we read the, that we read at the top of the sermon, therefore, uh, that the, the Paul says the word therefore. we got to ask, what's it there for? Evidently, Paul is telling the church to be steadfast and immovable because of something specific. That therefore is there because Paul was stressing the truthfulness of the resurrection. Nobody was denying that Jesus had been dead. Romans were pretty good at killing people. Thing was, usually when someone died, they stayed dead. But those early Christians, the ones who wrote the books that make up the New Testament, the ones who developed a faith that was spreading like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire, those people believed wholeheartedly that Jesus didn't stay dead. They believed that he had been resurrected and this made him Lord. The way Paul had put it earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, earlier in verse 3 in the chapter 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, the, the, the first thing I had to get out of my mouth, what I also received, he says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So here, we see Paul not only stressing the death of Christ as the sacrifice for our sins and the subsequent resurrection of that deathly state, he's also tying it all into Israel's God, Yahweh. For Paul, Israel, Jesus was Israel's representative Messiah. Jesus was the climax of the covenant that God had made with Israel and that through them, God would bless the world. Jesus was how God made good on that promise to Abraham all those years ago. Now, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, advocating for a, for a new Jew plus Gentile way of being human that was defined by new life, new life offered in Christ's resurrection. As Paul would put it elsewhere, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is made knew the resurrection was absolutely crucial to the early church. They weren't making this up as they go along. They weren't saying like, yeah, we believe in this myth. They actually believed that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by the Roman Empire and defeated death itself through the resurrection. Now for the early church, that was really good news. It was the gospel. Gospel means good news. It comes from euangelion. That's why um, 
euangelion, that's where we get the word evangelical. The thing that defined what it meant to be a Jesus follower is the gospel, this thing of first importance. The early church believed that hope was found in one person, in Jesus Christ, who was actually God in the flesh, who came to earth to dwell with his people, pay the price for their sins, die in their place, and then offer them new life in his resurrection. So Paul and the early church had no tolerance for anything that claimed authority over their claim that Jesus is Lord. In fact, the, for them, the phrase Jesus is Lord was, was clear to them. It was as clear to them as saying, there are four lights. As you can imagine, though, this was a little bit of a problem for the Roman authorities. Rome had built an empire by building on the work of Alexander the Great. This Hellenistic expansion that begun with Alexander was now being used by the Romans to expand their empire further, expand their territory further. Many would argue that the Romans were actually, were actually quite tolerant of the people that they conquered and to a large degree. and To, to some degree, this is truth. Um, the, the, the benefit of polytheism is that you can worship your gods, and I can worship my gods, and we can all get along under some kind of imperial glue. Yuck. Anyway, the problem was that the glue was Caesar himself. Caesar wanted to be seen as Lord and Savior. Caesar wanted your primary allegiance. Feel free to worship your gods according to your custom, but you owe your allegiance and your devotion to Caesar. Caesar is Lord, they'd say. But the Greco-Roman religious devotion took a, a, a variety of shapes in those early centuries. As the centuries went on, uh, there were lots of war. Sometimes, actually, the war ended up benefiting the Christian communities because the empire was so interested in their war, so busy fighting their wars, that they... they, they didn't persecute Christians quite as much. But um, there were wars that were both civil, civil wars and also imperial wars that were conquering new territory. But in 202, 202 AD, the reigning emperor, Septimius Severus, Septimius Severus, sought to unify the empire under the sole invictus, the, the unconquered son is what he called it. Again, everyone could worship their own gods as long as they acknowledged that the sun reigned above all. And there were two groups of people for whom this was a problem, Jews and Christians. To stop the spread of those two religious, religions, Septimian Severus, he issued a decree that it would now be illegal to convert to either Judaism or Christianity. About five years later, about a year later, there were five individuals several of them teenagers, who were preparing for baptism because even in the midst of this uh, imperial decree, Christianity was still spreading. And, and there were five individuals, we're told, who were preparing for baptism and who were arrested by the authorities. They weren't charged with being Christians. They, they were actually charged with converting to Christianity. And they were imprisoned for a long time painful time in hopes that 
eventually the Christians would give up their cause and eventually they would declare, if they were just starved uh, and tortured and imprisoned long enough, eventually, right, we can get these people to break and just admit, hey, there's five lights. Two of these individuals are actually women. Perpetua and Felicitas. Perpetua had an infant child at home. And Felicitas actually gave birth while in captivity. There is an account of Perpetua's father, a father coming to the prison and begging his daughter to give in. Just just give the Romans what they want. Just give them what they ask for. For the sake of your child, please, just, just, just say the words that they want you to say. Just do the little thing that they want you to do with the incense or whatever it is. It's simple, right? What do they want? They just want you to burn some incense, make a few declarations. You don't even have to mean it. And then we can all put this behind us and we can all go home. Perpetua responded that everything has a name and that it is useless to give it another name and that she had the name of Christian and that could not be changed. Now, this is going to get a little graphic. But it's important because I, 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 this is our history. They put the three male martyrs into the arena first. Two of them died quickly and, and bravely by attacks of, of wild animals. But for some reason, these animals, they weren't attacking the third man until he, he actually suggested, hey, why don't you try a leopard? And apparently that worked. And then the two women, Perpetua and Felicitas, entered the arena and they were attacked by this crazed cow, but they weren't killed immediately. Perpetua asked, she said, I need to be able to retie my hair because loose hair was a sign of mourning and this was a day of joy for her. These two women stood side by side after being attacked by wild animals and they were eventually killed by the sword. At least one of the guards who watched all of this is said to have converted on the spot. In fact, one of the reasons why Christianity spread as fast as it did was because of mass conversions of the crowds that that saw these these martyrs, the dedication of these martyrs. Paul had told the church that in the light of this resurrection, in light of the crucified Lord, in light of the new life that we have in Christ, you are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing That even if they throw you to the lions, your labor, your work, your actions, they're not in vain. God's going to use it. Evidently, they took Paul and Jesus, for that matter, very, very, very seriously. This was not a faith that just said the right things. This was not a Sunday morning faith. This was a faith that, 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 it wasn't just a faith that believed the right things. They were utterly committed to allegiance to Jesus. And that meant doing the right thing even in the face of death. I mean, friends, we, we, we should be so very grateful that we live in a country that allows us to worship Christ as Lord. And because my hope is in Christ alone and and not my government, I'm willing to be an advocate for freedom of all religion. But but those words from Paul, to be steadfast and immovable, are written to, to us 
They're written to you and me just as much as they were written to the martyrs. What does that look like? Well, first of all, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, I think that it means that we should be ready. We should be ready to give an account for the hope that is in us. Our words, they should be tempered with with gentleness and respect, but but our confession, our confession that Jesus is Lord, that, that should be genuine and it should be deliberate. This past week, I, I had an opportunity to sit in on a congressional meeting, actually, with, with other pastors and church leaders who met with uh, Senator Ben Cardin's staff. The meeting was with uh, these leaders who are uh, associated with International Justice Mission. IJM reports that there are more children, women, and men trapped in slavery than at any point in human history. That's hard to believe, isn't it? People are hurt, they are injured, they are beaten, they are starved and tortured for the profit of others around the world. Turns out it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and it exists, according to IJM, because oppressors can freely abuse vulnerable people without fear of punishment. Now, I don't know enough about this issue, and I actually have a meeting tomorrow with, with an IJM representative in order to learn more about this cause. And, um, but I was on the call the other day. I was on this call, and I, again, I was, I, was, I was there as a learner, but, it, but at one point, they, they asked me why I was there. They said, could you just introduce yourself, Pastor Miller? Could you introduce yourself and tell us why the cause of anti-slavery is important to you and your church? I said, well, New Hope was utterly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we believe that the values of justice and freedom, kindness, we believe that those values are inseparable from that gospel. I don't know much about the staffer that we met with, but I wanted to make it clear that the reason why I wanted to know more, the reason I was on the call, was because the cause of anti-slavery and anti-trafficking worldwide is intimately tied to my faith. I'm there because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So what would it mean for us to give an account, to give such an account to to our friends and, and to our colleagues? You know, why are you a business owner? A lot of you are business owners. Why, why would you be a business owner? Uh, we, well, I want to make money. I want to work for myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What would it mean for you to say, I, I, I'm actually a business owner because I'm a Jesus follower. And I believe the world needs more examples of servant leaders who devote themselves to their employees' success and operating in the marketplace with integrity. Well, why are you a teacher? I'm a teacher because I'm a Jesus follower. And I believe that, that our students need teachers who, who follow his example and pour themselves out sacrificially for their kids even when no one else will. Well, why do you go out to the car every Thursday at lunchtime? Well, I go out there because I'm a Jesus follower. And I meet with other men from my church every Thursday at lunchtime in order to pray for one another. And remind each other that we are brothers and that our work matters. 
We're not speaking in the abstract here. I'm, I'm speaking to, to, to you all directly, to you specifically. What does it mean for, for you and your situation? What does it look like for a, for a person with your job who lives on your street with your kids? What does it look like for, for that person? What does it look like for you to be a person who confesses the name of Jesus in a way that is gentle and respectful but also brave that's also deliberate, that's also intentional. Sometimes it's, it's a simple thing that we do by, by walking over to a neighbor's house. Maybe it's a simple thing we do like, I don't know, uh, shoveling your neighbor's walk. And it's not necessarily you need to you know, throw Jesus at somebody just because you shoveled the walk, but you get into a conversation, you get into a relationship with somebody. Eventually, somebody's going to ask you the question. Eventually, you're going to get the question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you care? It is because I'm a Jesus follower, and he loved me, and therefore I love you. So that's one thing, confession. But the other thing, for my money, that is the most important thing for us to do, to be, to be steadfast, if we're going to be immovable, if we're going to be abounding um, in hope, if we're going to be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our, 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 our labor in the Lord is not in vain, if I'm going to be dedicated to that, I believe that one of the most important things that I can do, perhaps the most important thing that I can do as a Christ follower in this world is to give my life to the local church. That doesn't mean you need to get a paycheck from the local church. That's, that's not what I mean. I mean you have dedicated yourself to the incarnational ministry of the local church in a community. Krista prayed for it just a few minutes ago. She said, what does it look like for us to, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the town of Catonsville or in southwest um, Baltimore County or in Baltimore County in general? What does it look like for us to be the local church here? What does it look like to, for us to confess Jesus? What does it look like for us to worship uh, together? Uh, please, play. we're praying that we'll be able to do more of that, worshiping together throughout this year in safe ways. What does it look like for us to be discipled? What does it look like for us to prioritize disciples? Jesus said the Great Commission, go and make disciples. That's our call, to be a church that cultivates a culture of discipleship for this community. A, a church that, that stands, that, that you are welcome here, and that we're interested in your growth. We're interested in you going closer to God. That's what all of this is about. That's what it looks like for the church to be the church. And then also we open our doors, and we love that community because Jesus loved us. We're involved with things like Catonsville Emergency Assistance. We're call, involved with things like World Relief that we learned last week. La, la, yeah, last week. We, we're involved with those things because we believe those are the things that the church needs to be doing in this world in response to his grace. In the shelter, we have a responsibility to be brave and deliberate, and even though it might be inconvenient, even though it might cost us everything, it's worth it. It's worth it because Jesus is in all and he is working through it all. God has it covered. So that's this idea I wanted to leave us with as we are ending this in the shelter series, right? I want us to be thinking about the resurrection. I wanted to be thinking that's the reason why we're doing everything that we're doing. 
But that's an excellent place to be as we now look forward to next week, which begins Lent. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Usually, gosh, there's so many people in here for Ash Wednesday services. You know, it's going to be, you know, we can't, we can't have an Ash Wednesday service because, you know, people are always knocking into each other. The, the, the crowds are just so overwhelming. So, so we're not having an Ash Wednesday service this year um, uh, in person. Uh, we're we're going to do it online, and uh, nobody needs to be uh, involved in that other than me. Um, I'll, I'll post on our YouTube channel uh, first thing Wednesday morning, a, a prayer time, kind of similar to what we did when we did the 30 days of prayer and fasting last year, uh, and we'll have a bit of, uh, uh, of prayer time. Um, I may attempt to play the guitar again, we'll see. Um, but we'll, we'll have this time of, of a beginning of Lent. And Lent, you know, it's a time of inward reflection, uh, it's a time of considering um, who we are in Christ, and maybe the, the the, the work that we are free to do in Him uh, in order to kind of realign ourselves with that resurrection hope. Um, but this year specifically, I would, I would really ask us to, to be prayerfully um, uh, engaged with this concept of the local church and with confession uh, that I talked those Those two questions that, that I talked about earlier, that, that's, those were really the two most important questions that I want us to be thinking about this year during Lent, number one, what does it look like to confess Jesus in my current context, in my life? What does it look like for me to confess Jesus with gentleness and respect, but also bravely and deliberately? And two, uh, what does it look like for me to, to dedicate myself to the local church, to dedicate my family to the local church? Um, what does it look like for us to be New Hope Community Church? Um, so, uh, as far as the preaching series, uh, we're going to go. We're going to start a new series next week for a Lenten series called Rebellion. Um, we're going to look at uh, Genesis three through eleven. Um, I'm also really looking forward to inviting back Brian Price, uh, who, who uh, everybody loved last uh, summer on our Direction series. He's going to be back with us, and he's going to preach uh, on Palm Sunday. Um, so, if you get a chance, read through Genesis three through eleven over the next uh, week or so. Um, and uh, join us at Ash Wednesday. And for now, let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we ask that we would uh, be brave enough to lean into that relationship, the father-son, father-daughter relationship. That we would see you as as a father who loves us, who has your hand on us, who says, I've got this covered. There may be pain tomorrow. There may be pain today. There may be pain in a year from now, but ultimately, I do have it covered. Ultimately, all these things are working together for redemption and restoration and reconciliation, and I want you to be a part of that. Father, that's what we want to hear from you. Father, that's, that's what we, we have heard from you, and, and we're responding um, through this life of the local church um, in order to, to do the things, in order to be the things that you've called us to be, in order to be the people for this community that you've called us to be. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray as we um, enter this, this Lent season uh, that this would be a, a time of personal reflection. It would be a time of personal evaluation for us to, to look to you and for us to ask you, Lord, w- w- what is it about me that needs to reflect you in, in, in greater ways? But, but 
in every step along the way. It's so important. Uh, help us to, to hear that truth that, that it is by grace we've been saved through faith. That these things that we do, we don't do them to earn your love. We have your love. We do them out of response to the love that you've already shown us. Uh, Lord, be with us, uh, be with our, our, our house churches, be with our families, be with our work environments. Give us these opportunities in, in, in appropriate ways to confess your name and, and to promote the cause of the local church. Uh, Father, we just ask all of this in, in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.